0: name, the name above all names, the name to which all heaven and earth will point. God, we thank you this day for the privilege it is to gather together, to be reminded of who you are and whose we are. God, in this day, would you be glorified in our thoughts, in our words, in all that we do. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, my name is Suzanne Vogel, and I'm the lead pastor for here at Meredith Drive Reformed Church. And before we hop into our sermon series, I wanted to give you uh, a couple of quick updates. Some of you are aware that uh, Pastor Johnny, who is the campus pastor for here at the bridge, um, his daughter Eliza was hospitalized a week ago. Last Sunday night, actually. Um, And Pastor Johnny and Kayla, his wife Kayla, asked me to just, first of all, express how appreciative they are of your care and your prayers. It has been a long week. Um, Eliza was diagnosed with viral and bacterial pneumonia in both lungs. Uh, She's been in the PICU since Thursday. I think, uh, and is currently been intubated. Um, The good news is that she is stabilized right now, and uh, they feel good about that, but uh, her condition is actually very serious, and likely she's going to be in the hospital for a while. We don't quite know how long that's going to be. So as a staff team, we've worked hard to free Johnny up to be dad and husband right now, and are prepared to do that for as long as we need to, Um, and uh, we'll see, we'll just kind of keep you updated and let you know how things are going. It's the beauty of having a staff team, is that we are able to do that together. You know, the other thing, though, I want to acknowledge is it's been kind of an intense season for all of our staff. Um, Beth Dreheim, some of you will know Beth. Beth serves as the administrative assistant or executive assistant at our other campus, but she's kind of the hub of that campus and has been here a long time, Uh, has been out since mid-November, having both her knees replaced, and uh, originally had hoped to be back about now, but the doctors are telling her it's going to be another two, maybe three weeks till she can come back, and then um, Joe Skyone, many of you know Joe, he was here on Sunday mornings, he's been our facilities manager and a great help to us, But he got an incredible job offer uh, working as a property manager for a regional company. And we blessed him and said, of course, you have to take that. That makes tons of sense. So his last day was last week. So... If you have noticed there are issues with doors being opened or there are more typos than normal or you have not had a pastor where you expected them to be at the time you expected them to be, you're not crazy. It's been a little zooey around here. And so I just want to both let you know that um, that's kind of going on. So if you've experienced a few, we're not a well-oiled machine right now. That's the only way to say that. But... Um, God has been gracious. I've been so thankful for volunteers and staff stepping in, doing things that they don't normally do just to help out right now. But I just want to thank you in advance for your patience and your kindness through the process. And then I just invite you to be praying for us, if you would. So now that all of that's out of the way, we trust that God's going to bring us through the season. Um, You know, there's only a few things going on right now. And we're grateful for what God is doing in the midst of that. Um, and so, Jeff, I forgot to pull this up on my slides. so would you just walk with me forward? That would be awesome. Our passage for this morning comes from Luke 5. We are in the midst of talking about our vision and where we sense God is taking us. If you did not get one of these last week, this is uh, a compilation of where we feel like God is going. They are at the Welcome Center, and I would encourage you to pick one up right after you uh, finish with service. But for this morning, our passage comes from Luke chapter 5. It's a story Jesus tells, and I want to invite you to read it along with me. Jesus says simply, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. This is the word of the Lord. So two years ago, almost to this exact point, we started moving from uh, from Pella to Des Moines. Now you'll notice I use the word started moving. Because it was a process. Uh, Now, I should probably be a little more clear with my language. The actual moving didn't take so long. That only actually took a weekend. It was the sorting and the packing and the purging that happened that took months Can I get an amen in the house? Have any of you been through this? Some of you have been through this recently. I'm looking in this corner specifically. There's a ton of folks who have been in the process of moving right now. Now, I have to confess that if I was left to my own devices, I would do one of two things. The first thing I would want to do is basically dump everything out of our current house into the back of a truck, move it to the new house, dump it into the new house, hide it in closets, and go, done. Right? Because that's easy. And it's, well, it's, you know, it's messy, but it's, it's easy. The other thing, the other, you know, pendulum swing I run to is, you know what? Let's sell it all and buy a tiny house. I actually recommended that a couple of times in our process because I was like, man, just forget it. Like, get rid of it all. Any of you identify with those two temptations? Yeah, so it's a good thing I'm married. And God gave me a husband who loves to organize and prune. It is his gift. If any of you are familiar with Marie Kondo, I think that's his sister from another person. I mean, so he was relentless through this process. And it was a good thing he's cute. Because, uh, truthfully, it was so tedious and frustrating for me. Because what he called me and us into was we literally went room by room through our house. And we looked at everything. Everything. And he had this annoying and incredibly helpful question he asked over and over and over again. The first question he would ask is, do we really need it? I hate that question. (laughs) And my instinct was to answer yes, because I didn't want to have to think about it. And so then he would ask the follow-up question, which was, why? which is usually when I wanted to hit him. I'm just being honest, right? Because the why question made me think. It made me work through the process. Why do I think this is important? Why do I want to hang on to this coat that is amazing and I haven't worn in two years? If it's that important to me, really? And it's that Turn right? It's that place where you have to thoughtfully walk through and ask, do I really need this? Now, fast forward six months, the weekend we moved was actually super smooth, thanks to my husband. It was almost fun. Because we'd done all the hard work, right? So when we got to the house, we knew where everything was going. We knew the place. We knew why we'd kept it. We knew where it was going to be. And it was wonderful. And I repented multiple times. And I'm going to do it again today. Because I was so grateful we'd done the work. Now, the difficult part is that you could choose to do that work today, right? Right? You could go home and say, today I will choose the day of sorting. But let's be honest, most of us need an impetus. We need a reason to do this work. We need to downsize, or we need to move, or we need to be in a transition. Oftentimes that's the thing that sparks us. And last week I suggested to you that we're in that kind of transition, both culturally and as a church. We've been in that kind of transition. It's been a natural space to sort and to ask the questions, what do we hold on to? And what do we gratefully release? Now, I have to tell you, if you're going to do this process right, it is just like doing it in your home. It's tedious. It's time-consuming. It's messy. There were a group of us that started this process Over two years ago, Don Doudna led us in a process, the ad board and the senior staff, where we started just beginning to ask these questions together. And it's taken us a long time to do this because we wanted to do it well. Because the trouble when you sort fast, what happens? Any of you know? You throw out stuff you shouldn't, or you hold on to stuff you shouldn't. And so we've been trying hard. Now, we're not done. I I wish I could tell you we're done, because actually the best sorting happens as you go. But we want to suggest today, and part of this series has been to talk about some of the things we feel like we're called to hold on to, and some of the things we're called to gratefully release. Now, in that process, there was a story, this story that we're going to talk about this morning, that I found very helpful And I found it helpful for me personally, and I found it helpful for us corporately as we've been asking these questions. That's a very simple, it's a deceptively simple story. Jesus tells it actually towards the beginning of his ministry. He has come and he's been doing all these crazy things that don't look like the way we've always done it, right? He calls a fisherman to be a disciple and then a tax collector. He heals somebody, which is already radical enough. But in the process of healing the leper, he touches him, which is huge taboo in that culture. And then he forgives somebody. He tells them they're forgiven by God, which makes, you know, the religious leaders' heads blow up. And so they come, not to Jesus, mind you, because no, we can't do this. They go to his disciples. They triangulate. So they go to his disciples, and they say, what is up with this guy? It feels like he's letting go of all of these things that are important, and what's going on? And Jesus overhears it, and because Jesus, you know, doesn't do triangulation, he addresses them directly. And this is one of three stories he tells to deal with this. And so I want to remind us. He says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For they say, the old is good. All right, so let's unpack a few principles out of this passage that again, have grounded me and might be helpful for you. The first seems really obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus says, keep making wine. That's one of the things you have to hold on to, is you keep making wine. It's not like Jesus tells a story and says, well, there are these old wine skins, and so now I want you to switch to water. Jesus says one of the things that is a constant in both scenarios is wine. It's making wine. Now, in the Bible, wine is a symbol of transformation. And one of the threads that runs through the Old Testament and the New Testament and then even through church history is this simple, simple reality. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Keep making disciples. It's that simple. That's the heart. And I would suggest to you that's the heart of what it means individually to follow Jesus too is that we need to keep loving God and keep loving people. God may change our environment, He may use different forms at different times to facilitate that, but that's the heart of what we have to keep doing as a church, is keep making disciples. And in fact, the mission of the church, not just Meredith Drive, but the big church, I would argue this is our mission. We can find 17 cool new ways to say it, but the bottom line is that we're called to connect people to God and each other, grow like Jesus, and empowered to serve by the Spirit. That's it. Now, I have to tell you, that was our mission statement, and that is our mission statement. It doesn't change. Now, I will tell you, there were times in the last year and a half that we tried to find cooler, hipper ways to say that, but we kept coming back to this is the heart of what we're called to do. It is the legacy of Meredith Drive, and it's the legacy moving forward connect, grow, serve. That's the heart. Now the second principle is that the fundamentals of that process of making wine don't change. Did you notice that? Making wine requires wineskins because wineskins serve a function. They actually protect the wine from air and light. They allow for expansion and fermentation and so the fundamentals of making wine don't change between new wine and old wine, and I believe that's true of the church. The fundamentals of making disciples isn't rocket science, it's as simple as working to connect with God through corporate worship, through prayer, through scripture, for through all kinds of ways. Those how we do that might change, but that's key to discipleship. Connecting with other people is at the heart of transformation and discipleship. Discipleship is not a solo thing, and you've heard us say that over and over and over again. And then the third key element is service, right? Pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. It's in that place that we discover the nature of God, we experience the nature of God, and we grow. Those three simples, simple things do not change. But I would also say that there's something unique that Meredith Drive is called to. You'll notice that Jesus says, keep making wine and keep pouring it into wineskins. And one of the questions we asked ourselves was, what's the song that our church has uniquely been created to sing? What are we uniquely and historically created to contribute to the kingdom of God? One of the things we told our kids from the time they were little is everybody's smart in their own way. And we meant it. And that was really important for our kids to hear. Actually, it was really important specifically for our daughter to hear. Because Benjamin was smart in a particular kind of way, right? That book smart, that analytical brain that makes him an awesome computer science engineer. Our daughter, way more street smart way more intuitive, way more creative, and we cannot ask them to play the same role in life because she will be miserable or he will. The same is true in the kingdom. I think our church has a unique song we're called to sing, and one of the ways I think you discover your song is you look at the things you're good at. You look at the things that have been part of your passion and joy over time. So that's what we did with the church. I read through all the annals, I read through old brochures about new initiatives, I read through minutes, well, okay, I'll make a confession, I didn't read through a lot of the minutes because that's just boring, but um, as our team, we started asking, are there core values that we need to hold on to that are part of the DNA of this church? And my guess is that there are some of you in this room who know that, and some of you, you've never heard about this. There are things that we have today because of the investment of the people behind us. So there were, I think, a collection of four or five. So the first one is that Meredith Drive has always had a commitment to the neighborhood. That's the original church building at the uh, location of our other campus. It was started in 1938, and it was called Beaver Heights Fellowship Church. It was started by a group of neighbors in that dog patch neighborhood who said, we feel like God's calling us to provide a place to worship for our neighbors. That's how we started. That's our DNA. And that continues to be something that drives us. If you haven't heard that from us, then we're not doing our job. You know, I heard when I first came stories about Pastor George Meiskins, one of the early pastors who would walk the neighborhood going door to door, um, meeting people, holding babies so moms could get their work done, and mowing lawns for uh, people who were working late. It was that kind of presence in the neighborhood that we believe is part of who we are continuing to be called to be. Now, Pastor Tony came, and he exhibited this as well, and then he actually took us even to another place where I think the call to missions and outreach was really nailed down hard for Meredith Drive. Under Tony's leadership, this church planted two other churches and was instrumental in two additional churches being um, thriving and growing. we we're a leader in missions trips around the globe, and we created all kinds of partnerships in the city, partnerships with Habitat and Food Pantry and home, min- home Ministries. There is a legacy of outreach and mission that this church has had for a long, long time. In addition, there was a core value of the commitment to children and students from the very beginning There's been strong programming. One of the things I first heard over and over again when I came was this, I came to Meredith Drive because our kids loved it. Our students got connected. And we've seen that not just in our preschools, but also in our relationships in the city and the things we love and are committed to. Organizations like FCA and helping start Molten Elementary, Way Out Ministries, Freedom for Youth, Power Packs, the list goes on and on. Historically, this has been part of who we are together, and it's not changing. And then finally, this has been a church that's had a strong commitment to generosity. We've been a mission impact partner with the RCA for 20 years. That means we support global ministries all over the world. We've, as a congregation, said we're going to commit 20% to giving away. We take communion offerings. We have a number of our members who volunteer significant hours in the community. If I look around this room, I can see all kinds of you. I know your stories. I know that Sherry Dickelman pours out for Days for Girls. I know that Chris Denauden is on the board for JCA. I could tell you story after story of the generosity of this congregation, and that is not going away. If anything, we only want to increase it. So there are things we're going to hold on to. It's why the title, Our Vision, is... Renewing our legacy. Not getting rid of our legacy. Not selling everything in a fire cell and moving on. It's renewing our legacy. However, right, because there's always a but, Jesus makes a pretty strong statement. And that is, you cannot reuse wineskins. Period. Period. I'd be happier if he'd said, you know, sometimes it doesn't use, work to use old wineskins. But he makes a very definitive point. He says, you cannot use old wineskins. What happens if you do? Did you notice? They burst. they burst! Which destroys the form and it spills and ruins the wine. It doesn't work. But see... This is, the I think, the secret little nugget in the parable. The trouble is, is that new wine doesn't taste as good as old wine. Can I get an amen? Old wine has had time to mature. It's smooth. It's developed. It works well, right? And so Jesus acknowledges, right, at the end— when you're drinking old wine, there's not much in you that wants to invest in new wine. Because new wine is sharp, and it's tart, and it's bitter, and it's got rough edges. And, and it's hard to invest in new wine when you're drinking the old wine. And that's the trouble, because new wine requires flexibility. It needs room to breathe. But here's the thing. You got to have new wineskins. Now, I've been really grateful. We've had lots of dialogue partners in this journey, one of which is Fuller University or Fuller Seminary. Um, this is a book written by a team of foes called Growing Young. Fuller sat down and they said, where are the churches in the United States that are doing this right. They're reaching the next generation. We see evidence of life and health and vitality. And they looked at over 300 churches, and that demographic, they did an awesome job. There were big churches and small churches. There were denominationally aligned churches. There were churches that were independent. There were churches that were urban. There were churches that were rural. They looked at all that data. They asked all kinds of questions. And they said there are some key things that all those churches have in common. And if you would, I would invite you to actually get this book and read it with a group of people. It's one of our action steps going forward because I think it would help you have a sense of where we're going. But let me specifically tell you, out of that book and the work, we felt like there are four places that God is calling our church— to grow young. And here's the good news. They're all things that Jesus actually models for us, and they will make us a more Christ-centered church. The first is that we want to intentionally become a family that is centered in Jesus. The research over and over said that young people who participated in these churches used adjectives like welcoming, belonging, accepting, hospitable, and caring to describe their churches. And one of the things that I think we're going to have to continue to work on is creating an environment that feels less like a theater and more like a family room. In the past, a lot of us have focused on our nuclear families. But one of the things Jesus says is, you know who my family is? Do you know who your family is? It's the people who follow me. And the next generation longs for a, a tribe, a people who will treat them like family because their nuclear families, some of them have been under enormous pressure. And here's the truth. I want that too. Now, I think this is going to be a challenge. Hold on, specifically at the bridge. You thought I was going to say the other campus, right? No, I'm going to call you out. For a minute because here's the thing it is so easy isn't it to have our routine our form right so pastor says the benediction we start stacking our chairs we gravitate towards the people who are in our tribe right and do we ever look around and say who's new and oh what if we actually went up to them Can I tell you, we stink at that. Can I just and I'm and I'm going to include myself. I had a conversation with a family who uh, is still here. Thank you, God's called them, but they talked about how many Sundays it was before somebody came up and introduced themselves. It's hard. So this is a place we're going to have to grow, and we're going to have to grow not just like here on Sunday morning, but we're going to have to grow in terms of creating room in our lives for other people who are not ours and our own, right? And stretching and growing. There was a couple who modeled this for me when I first came to this church. They came up to me. uh, I think I'd maybe been here three months, and they said, when do your kids have their next concert? And I said, well, it's in a month, but, and they said, well, we're coming. And I said, at that point, you you realize we live in Pella? And they were like, yeah, we're coming. We're showing up for our kids. How cool was that? When was the last time you voluntarily went to a school program where you were not related to somebody? (laughs) That was beautiful. Do you know what that said to my kids? That was awesome. Now, that's a picture, right? It's not a form, but it's a picture. It's the kind of, I think, hospitality we want to continue to create. Okay, the next one is a community which sees and loves all their neighbors, right? Jesus talked about this. I preached on this just in August, right, that we're called to love whoever is in front of us. Whether they're a Samaritan or not. And I think we're going to have to sh- not shy away from complex conversations. We're going to need to be patient with the journey of our neighbors and be in our neighborhoods. It's part of why we tried trunk or treat this year. Right? Because in the past, what we've done is we've done a party which is really fun called All Saints. And it's a lovely, it's so fun, it's a good event. But it doesn't draw people in. And we said this year, let's mess around and let's play with the idea of having an event that our neighbors could see and come to. So, we've talked about that. Let me keep moving. The, we also need to be coming a, servant, uh, a community of servants who sacrificially bless the vulnerable, especially children. This is, again, another huge theme throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus says, here's how I know if you love me, you love orphans. You love widows. That's what it looks like. And we want to continue to do that, but in new and uh, innovative ways. It's why we partnered with the public schools to do our alternative Christmas differently this year. We said, we're going to do this in a new way. And finally... We want to become a people who are grounded in grace and truth, able to create safe spaces for uncertainty and conversation. Here's the truth. The next generation longs to have safe places where they can wrestle and talk and work the truth out together. And we either have to create new spaces for them or we're going to stop making wine. That's the reality of the parable, right? You either have to invest in new wineskins, skins or you stop making wine. And as I said earlier, that requires foresight. It requires investment because here's what's true. I want to be drinking new wine. I want to be drinking old wine in a decade. That means i got to start making new wineskins now. I want the generation behind me and the generation behind that to love Jesus deeply, which means I have to start investing now in the new forms, or it won't be there when they're ready. And that process is messy, and it's full of risk, and it's full of uncomfortability, and it's going to require us to shift and grow. Let me give you a small micro picture of that. This last summer, the YMCA approached us and said, could we use this beautiful building that is the bridge? Could we rent it from you and do our day programs here? And we said, absolutely, that fits our vision, right? Kids, students, partnerships with neighborhoods, we're in. And it was awesome. And it was super hard on our building. Have you, you just, you can head up there. You can see the carpet, right? It's now stained in places it was not stained earlier. And there are light fixtures that are broken that were not broken before the summer started. And there are, well, there are a list. Right? That's why we don't do it, because we're afraid of the messiness and the damage and the loss. And Jesus says, no, no, follow me into this new place. One of the fears of, I think, this process of purging is that we'll let go of the wrong things. And I just want to say to you this morning, I think the beauty is that we have such a rich inheritance that has been given to us by the people 50 years ago and 60 years ago and 70 years ago and 74 years ago who poured in to make new wine so that we could have it today. And we're going to hold on to the treasures. This, this little figurine My guess is if you came to my house and you were doing my purging for me, you would have thrown it away. It's a little figurine. It sits on my desk. To the rest of the world, it would look like junk, probably, but it's a gift from my grandmother. It was hers, and she didn't wait until I was an adult to give it to me. She gave it it to me when I was eight, and she said, this is part of my inheritance I'm giving you because... I love the fact that you are always reading. And I hope you will always keep reading. It reminds me of her. And it reminds me of who I am. And it reminds me, quite frankly, to take the time to read. Those are the things we want to hold on to. The things that connect us to where we've been and who we are and who we are called to be as we keep walking forward. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day and for the opportunity we have to sit in a building that a whole generation of people invested in that many of whom don't sit in this room. I thank you this morning that I preach in the footsteps of pastors who came before me that this body exists Because of a legacy of faithfulness and generosity and vision. And yet, God, as you call us into a new season, individually and together, God, would you give us courage? Would you give us vision? Would you give us resolve to let go of things that we have loved in the past but maybe are no longer necessary for the future? Show us, give us wisdom and discernment together to know what to hold on to, and what to gratefully let go of. And all God's people said, amen.